Welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, where we discuss e-commerce issues and whether our guests today automated, delegated, or eliminated them and why. Your host is Will Christensen, co-founder of Data Automation. And again, welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. Welcome everyone to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. We are very excited. I'm your host, Will Christensen. This podcast is provided to you by Data Automation. This is our second season, so if you had a chance to listen to the first episode, you know this already, but what we're doing is we're actually interviewing the founders of SaaS companies that have made an impact on the world in terms of automation or delegation or elimination. And today we have a SaaS founder who's made an amazing impact on automation, and I'm not going to spoil it, tell you exactly what he's created or what his software does, because he's going to, to tell us a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, I'd like to welcome Ashik Wani to our podcast today. Ashik is a customer-driven technology evangelist with executive-level experience identifying and implementing enabling technologies that facilitate business process and strategic objectives. He is the founder of DocAcquire, a SaaS platform which enables businesses to automate document-centric business processes. So obviously, you've got a little teaser there, but we would like to welcome Ashik to the show. Hi, Will. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Ashik, thank you again for being here. Ashik and I met as we were doing some some integration and partnership work at Data Automation, and he and I are, are working on building some integrations and looking at different things that we might be able to do with his company. I, I'm going to be using his software a little bit. I'm very, very excited about it because it eliminates a pain point that I see often in the world today. So Ashik, tell us, what does your software do? Uh, well, in simple terms, I would say our uh, main purpose is to help businesses to automate any back office uh, document-centric business process. So it's like a very generic, uh, you know, sentence we normally use. But being very specific, um, if I give an example of uh, processing invoices, uh, think about a business. A business uh, processes around... Um, suppose 3,000 invoices a month. So that's a very painstaking process that involves a lot of manual hard work. And, you know, and as you know, whenever there is manual intervention involved, you end up with, you know, errors. So we have SaaS, two SaaS products. And uh, what we do is we help these businesses to take these manual processes and, you know, give them the technology so that, you know, they can, they can automate these processes. And uh, the use case, there are tons of use cases. These, um, you know, we can get these from customers from. So, such as, as I said already, noise processing. And uh, we got customers. They use our technology for uh, uh, insurance claims processing. And then we got other customers using it for uh, tons and tons of use cases. So, there's a huge market out there. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to be, you know, a very specific. Uh, do less and do it beautifully. Beautiful, beautiful. So what would you say is the thing that makes this software different from competitors out there, other other document parsing softwares? What What is it that, that really makes you shine? So what we have seen, it goes back to the history uh, when I went into this journey. So we saw a number of products out there and these products were very clumsy, very expensive and extremely uh, difficult to adopt and big commitments. We have come up with a different approach of making this product 
available, you know, building it such a way so that business of businesses of any size, whether it's a small business, medium or enterprise, making it easier for them to adopt this technology. So that's what, you know, we, we come in as a startup. And also um, in terms of usage, uh, as I said, the products which are out there, they're extremely difficult to configure. Uh, we, we have tried a number of different products out there during our research. And we found these products are extremely difficult to, to configure in the first place so that you can see their return on investment. But what we're trying to do, uh, we're trying to you know, build a platform in such a way so that that initial user journey is seamless, so that you don't have to spend tons and tons of resources in terms of time and money where before you see their return. Interesting. So, so as you picked apart that process, but you know, I'd like to understand a little bit more about your personal origin story. Were you part of another company when DocuQuire became, you, you know, the the thing that you were working on? What did that look like? So it goes back five years ago. So my background is uh, I'm a technical. So uh, I've been a software developer. Then I got into different high level, you know, leadership positions, like technical architect, head of engineering. So I used to work for an insurance company here in London, and the aim of this company was to digitize their uh, paper-centric uh, underwriting process, which involves handling and processing tons and tons of uh, contracts. So the aim was to take these paper documents and convert these paper documents into a digital format. And if we do that, that was amazing. And we spent nearly um, five years to kind of look into this whole you know, a wider process which these uh, insurance underwriters use. And uh, we built and we'll build a platform and, and a scanning software which converts these paper documents and um, automates all this process and finally posts this uh, digital PDF document into their data document management system. So that was amazing. That was wow. But that got me thinking, uh, well, it's great. It's a good start converting a paper document into digital, which is great. But how about the information which is in, inside that document? That's where the value is. And that kept, you know, got me thinking, hey, something has to be done about it. And I started doing my own research on and off, on and off. And I spent three years in this research. And I built a first uh, proof of concept, a small proof of concept, and then I have a good network here in London and, and outside London as well. I started taking it in front of them and getting their feedback. What do they think? Am I wasting my time or is this something you know I should pursue into spend more time? And finally, getting to the end, um, I basically took three pivots in three years while working full-time job and also uh, working on this, uh, I call it minimum viable product. So I polished it, polished it, and took, as I said, three pivots. And finally, I ended up, I realized, yes, this is going to be a product market fit um, because, yeah, this was a genuine problem. And, yeah, that's when it started, you know, I went full-time into DocuQuire. So you uh, tell me about that. Okay, so, so this is the moment where, you know, the roller coaster has been going up and up and up. And the higher you go, the more time you invest, the scarier the drop is going to be on the other side, right? You're, you're going up the roller coaster, up the roller coaster. You look down and you realize, I'm going to have to take a jump on the other side. I'm going to have to leave my safety and my security of my job, of the other things that were out there, and start something new. What was that like? 
were, were, were you were you in a very safe and secure position? A, a lot of times I hear that that founders they got fired right before they started something. Tell us about that. What 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 happened? So the moment I started, I went full time. You know, into you know into this business. The first thing I did, I had a chat with my wife. I was like, "See, I'm gonna go into this journey. What are your thoughts?" And I think she's been always, um, she's been always uh, very uh, supportive uh, to me. Um, and um, if I if I go back to my uh, you know full time job, what I was doing in London, I was a full you know contractor. So contractors make good money in London when you only get the day rate. So financially, I was well established. I was absolutely fine, and I was enjoying my life. You know, I didn't have to work that hard. But this is this is another part, another side of of the story where I went into this journey. The this is the re, this is the reason like why I went into this journey. It's about okay, well I'm gonna have this life. You know, I'm gonna make money in London. Really very good contracting job, paying me good money. But what I'm gonna give back to the society where I'm from. So basically, I'm from from Kashmir, which is a northern part of India. And there, there is so much waste of talent there, and um, and that that got me thinking. Okay, well, how can I help my community? Right? How can I give back? And and I had this passion as well. How can I build a technology which will change people's lives? Right. So then I went into this journey, and um, I took this leap of faith, and I went in. And the first. First year was mostly it was it was crazy. <laughs> I would say I was building something today. It was purely engineering. It, I was not putting any effort on sales and marketing and things like that. I'll cover that a bit later. What we should do. <laughs> so I want to highlight something you said there. You mentioned your wife, and many of us have partners who come in, and, and my wife in a similar place. There is a special pedestal that I put my wife on and I, and I say, this woman is so amazing for the support that you mentioned. Like, I, I mean, just I can imagine that that, you know, this is a little bit like you're driving a car, you're driving the roller coaster, you know, it's going to the top and you know, you're going to take the leap on the other side because you see all the benefit for helping your countrymen and for helping the world eliminate some of this wasted effort and talent. That's why I got into automation, by the way. So we share a similar vision. I want to take the world's creativity that they're currently wasting on manual tasks and give it back. And so you know what you're doing. You're, you're driving up, you're driving up. She's a passenger. She doesn't have a hand on the steering wheel, right? Absolutely. She's got to put a hand on your shoulder and be like, we're going to do this, right? And and it's so powerful to have someone there to support you. So, you know, for, for those of you who are listening who are founders, shout out to your wives, your partners. For those of you who are listening who aren't founders, call up your founder and thank his wife. Like, like I'm, I'm dead serious. If you can get in contact with her and shoot her a message or him a message, there are obviously a lot of amazing female founders out there as well. But thank the spouses, the partners of those who are jumping into this journey because they're they're totally there and they they put a lot out there on the line to make this happen so you mentioned taking this leap and realizing that life's probably not going to be the same i'm going to have to work a lot harder than i was and and the risk reward i mean maybe it'll be there maybe it won't and you decided to jump in so so at that point did you did you file like resignation or did you try to keep uh, your other your other contract going a little bit at the time to try to keep 
both boats afloat. What was that transition like? So that's a good question. Um, so just before I jumped into Dock Acquire, I was working for um, a SaaS company in, in London, it's a health and safety company in London, and I was head of engineering there, looking after their whole IT. So I basically worked there for one year as a as a as a you know in the contracting you know agreement in that arrangement. But I mean, I still have a very good relationship with the CEO of that company, uh, Rosalind Benjamin. Uh, I mentioned so. I completely transformed her her business. But before I started there, I made it very clear to her. Um, said, "Look, Rosalind, I'm going to work for you one year. I will I will try my best to help you, and I know um, you know how we can take your uh, platform to the next level. How we can please your customers." And and once the one year was you know over, and you know we got on the same page, and she did let me go. It was mostly, uh, as I said, it was a contractual agreement, uh, one year. And yeah, um, so uh, Rosalind Benjamin, she has also advised me on the, on the business as well, how you can basically, because she's got nearly I think, 25 years experience um, as, a, as an entrepreneur. Uh, she's got like three or four businesses, uh, which she is running in, in London. So that's when I gave up my full-time contracting role as a head of engineering, and I jumped into Dr. Poir. Okay. And, um, you know, you made that leap, you jumped in there, you, you mentioned before, so bringing us back to the story where you were giving us, you mentioned that, that at that point, you were going to move forward, and it was all engineering. What did that look like? How, how did you make the transformation to get some of the marketing pieces and other things that need to be in any startup to get it to the point where you took that product market fit and actually capitalized on it? Yeah, so the moment I jumped full-time into Dark Acquire, uh, three years before that, I was like on and off, on and off, and I think I had enough time to do the research. So it was mostly R&D research and development, you know, and looking at the competitors, looking at the players which are already in the market, looking at their strengths and their weaknesses and uh, pick up and pick up uh, how I can be different, you know, if I will be a new player in the market. Uh, what can I offer to the existing uh, audience? So, so when I joined, when I started as a full time, and uh, first thing I did, I registered my company here in England, and um, and that's where it started. Uh, so I took this minimal viable product, uh, which was very tiny. It was not, it was not polished. It was very basic. It was not meant for the actual customers. It was just to prove my idea uh, whether it um, makes sense or not. So took it to the full scale, and what I did was, um, um, so I basically started looking, uh, building a team in India, an engineering team in India, but that was taking a lot of time uh, to find the right people. Then what I did was um, I spent most of my time in, in basically building the product. So, um, so what I was trying to do, this was one of the mistakes which I want to highlight. Uh, so what I was trying to, I was trying to build, I was trying to basically put everything in the product, whatever it was, whatever I was seeing there, I was just trying to bake it into there, factor into so many different features, which most of us have done in the past, right? And that took a lot of my time. And I also, when I hired the first developer back in, you know, uh, that time, and um, I used to, he used to build features and he used to go crazy as well. Can you build feature ABC? And he used to be quite fast as well. 
And yeah, then we got to a stage where we started getting, uh, uh, so what I did was I put a website out there and the moment I put the website, I did some basic SEO and started getting some traction uh, in UK and in US, I think mostly in US. And that basically changed my, um, you know, my approach, what I should do, where I should focus on. And, um, and the focus was basically, I was, as I said, we were trying to roll out many features just to please our customers, but we were not actually focusing on the core problem, which is, which is the data extraction, right? How are we going to make it seamless? So that's where we are not, you know, focusing. We were focusing on secondary features, not the core feature. Gotcha. So, so you started to figure out, okay, because that's, that's a, a big part of building a SaaS company is deciding, okay, where is their feature creep? Where should I be focusing on? How much do I build versus how much do I market? You know, that balance is actually, you know, super, super key in the process of, of getting this thing off the ground. Yeah, totally, totally on the same page as you. So what other difficulties uh, did you face uh, when starting the company that you'd like to share with the listeners? And what did it look like to overcome them? So one of the things I want to highlight here was, I think right from the beginning, I started, I think there's a good and bad side of it as well. I started bringing, you know, making partnerships with some good companies out there. And most of them have been, I can see the benefits now uh, later on in the, in the journey. Uh, we spent a lot of time to please these, um, you know, our, our technology partners, business partners. And that basically took a lot of time because we were building proof of concepts and so much of documentation. I mean, we were not actually focusing too much on the product itself and the marketing, as I mentioned earlier. So I was not focusing too much on marketing, you know, at that time and try to sell before you start building a, a bigger, bigger, you know, a, a decent product. So in terms of issues we were, you know, I faced, First of all, uh, I, I'm, I'm still a solo founder, and I was uh, I started journey on my own, and I bootstrapped the company. I didn't got any investment. Still, we haven't got any investment yet, and uh, we are getting a huge interest on investment. You know, but we are not taking any investment at this stage. What made you decide not to take investors? Because I'm sure you you had a network. You could have reached out to people and and gotten things going farther faster. What made you decide to wait on the on the investors front? So as you might know, I mean, raising investment is a full time job. It takes tons and tons of effort to reach out to build the relationship with with investors with the right investors because some of them may waste your time, right? And um, for me, as I said, I was just alone uh, in this journey. I didn't want to waste time in, in you know, in that on that side because for me, I had a good, uh, I had savings actually, you know, which I had earned in the past. So I had really good savings, and I knew what my runway is going to be, how long, you know, it is going to take me before uh, I won't have any cash, right? So I had that you know, in mind because I already did those budgets and everything. Um, so what I wanted to focus on the actual product. So let's say that I'm, you know, I, I'm at a company similar to you, head of engineering, or I'm a product manager or whatever else. How much savings would you recommend? You don't need to tell me how much you had, but how much savings would you recommend I have in the bank before I venture forth on creating my own thing? 
because that's it sounds like i mean when you say i bootstrapped it i, I pushed it forward I, I created my runway if 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 you know uh, random Joe off the street comes up and says, "Hey, I'm a product manager. How much savings should I have before I try to launch my idea?" Um, what would you recommend? How how much? How much? How how much would you recommend having in the bank? So, if you are thinking, uh, you know, not raise any money for for two years, considering, um, you know, you don't have any other financial commitments, you don't have any, you don't have a mortgage to pay monthly, and uh, you're very careful on your spending. Right, spending habits. Again, it depends on the what the product you are building. If you are building a small, um, you know, a consumer-based an app, that may take less time. But I'll talk specifically about if you're building a B2B SaaS platform because we have a platform and it's um, it's quite uh, in, in you know it takes time you know to get to a point where it's a, you know it's more commercial. So I would say uh, for two years have uh, I don't know probably hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollars in your bank account. That will take you your runway, you know, for, for for two years. Okay, and when you're considering that runway, you're considering that investment level to have in your bank account. I would actually say a similar number. If someone had just come up off the street for me, like how much do you need? I would I would give a similar number. Are you including, you know, having to bring somebody else in to help you with the piece that you're not good at? Or would you say that that's just to pay yourself? So like if you're in a development position and you you're a developer, that's kind of what you need in the back to kind of pay your expenses while you build it. Or is that enough that you can bring someone else in and, and pay them as well? Or do you feel like that that's where you have to start generating some revenue to bring in? Other people? What's that look like? In my case, it was I. I didn't pay a penny to myself for the for the first year, nothing at all. So it was basically bringing the bringing the engineers and hiring the consultants and pay them the day rate and and also running your paying to the there are all sorts of costs you have to pay your infrastructure. In my case, I didn't put any I didn't you know um, you know put any investment on on sales and marketing because we were still trying to figure out. You know, or, you know what the what the problem is, and and trying to build a product market fit. So we started actually. Um, in my case, you know, we started generating the revenue um, after a year when I started when when I went full time. So, but a very small revenue to start with. Uh, so that basically helped to pay pay some bills and the contractors back in India. I mean, in my case, again, um, my engineers, the whole team is based in India, so it's very co extremely cost-effective. If I would have hired the, you know, a team in the UK, then I don't think I would have been able to run the company for a month. Got it. And and you know, when you mentioned that, you know, seventy to one hundred and fifty k that you got in the bank, were you did you separate that out, and then you had other savings that you were living off of? in the past because you weren't paying yourself from the new company you were you were having to survive somehow how did you keep your family afloat so again i had to you know look into my cost so that was basically a separate kind of money i had so it was not this was just for the company uh what, what i mentioned earlier so i kept that separate we did some maths you know my wife she's she's basically she's an accountant management accountant so she's got a very good eye on <laughs> maths you know and she's done to be honest she's done tons and tons of work for doc acquired to in when it comes um to license building the license model financial model you know 
and uh, and looking into cost savings, how we pay our suppliers. So so that really helped me. You know, I think my wife has been another co-founder. <laughs> I don't think you can say you're a solo founder anymore. I think I think from now on you're gonna have to say that that you founded this with your wife because it sounds like she did some amazing things for you. Not to not to diminish what you've done by any means, but it, it sounds like she was very involved. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. Okay, so let's say that I'm a you know new college grad and I'm coming to you and I'm, I'm asking you about the early days. And we've had this conversation. You've brought up a couple of concerns and things that, that have been different and, and that have gotten better or, or whatever. A- any other things that you'd like to, to highlight in terms of some of the early day struggles uh, that, that other entrepreneurs might face? So very good question. So I would say, I think this is something I've been always... This, this thing has been always proven true to me. Love the problem, not the product. Okay. So when we build something, we really get emotionally attached to it, right? And sometimes we don't take, uh, you know, somebody's uh, critics or you know the feedback. If somebody is gonna give you the feedback on what are you doing on your product, you take it constructively. Okay. Keep your ego aside. And try to find the problem. Try, I would say, spend a lot of time in doing research, right? You know, what the problem is, okay? And start extremely small. Don't think about, hey, I have to build something, you know, build something big, you know, shine it and put it in front of the, of the customer, your potential customers. And just build very small and take it to, to in front of the audience and get the feedback. Because that way, if you're lean, you can you can build a you know create you know a offering or a product. Have you read the Lean Startup? Absolutely, absolutely. Such so, a <laughs> such a beautiful book. Yeah, but w- when you were talking, I was like, this sounds like the Lean Startup, which is a, a book that talks a lot about software development. And a lot of our founders that we're interviewing are going to be SaaS founders, so it's going to apply line to line. But I've been amazed at how often that book applies to not just SaaS companies, but but companies uh, the world over when it comes to building that minimum viable product. Start lean. So what, what was your other point there? Sorry to interrupt. So um, so the other thing I was going to say, going into a business, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, it's initially it looks like, okay, well, it's fine. I'll do it. I'm going to crack into it. Initially, it looks easy, but when you get into it, when you get into a situation where you don't have any earnings, you are spending tons and tons of, there is no limit how much of time you're spending, right? On, 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 on your business, right? You can get stressful, you know, times when you don't have any customer, you don't have any revenue, right? So, but have a, have a faith on you, have a big confident on your vision, you know, and have that vision. Right, where you want to be, keep that horizon in front of you. Say that's where I want to be, and when you have that, you know, horizon in front of you or your destiny in front of you, there will be distractions. Distractions coming left, right, and center, and it happened to me as well. I'll cover that later. And but be focused, right? Learn, but be very focused. And um, yeah, so. Time management is extremely important, critical, you know, um, when you want to basically create your own business. Be very disciplined. And I would say uh, when you get into, this is a very important thing, when you, when you start interacting with customers. So spend 95% of time listening to your customers rather than before you talk. 
just listen to that. Keep Beautiful. Listening. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on the time management piece. One of the things that I've done is I've actually sectioned out my life. So between 7 a.m. MST and 3 p.m. MST, I am owned by data automation. Like data automation owns me as a, as a person at that time, and my time is fully devoted. So I protect that time like a like a bulldog, right? Somebody comes in and says, hey, I, I want a half an hour of that. And if it isn't for data automation, I better have a darn good reason for putting something there that goes there. So budgeting your time is, I totally agree, very important. And then budget time, I'm investing time in my family. So I have specific timeframes at night where I will not take a phone call or talk to a client or anybody because I am investing in my family as a startup, right? My family startup, my two girls and my wife are, are the world to me. And so if I don't invest in that business in that startup, it'll fail as well, just like your 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 other business will fail. And then I have some precious hours that are kind of spread out in between there where I where I invest back in myself as a human being in, in listening to books and in just enjoying fantasy books or enjoying uh, honestly I, I play the Oculus Quest. It's a uh, a VR headset and I'm a I'm a Jedi Knight most nights. So so like You've got to find specific time frames that you let yourself recharge and look at those things or the whole thing falls apart. So couldn't agree more on, on that aspect of time management. And then on the second thing you said, listening to your users, if you can't take, like, like you said, be humble, recognize what's there. It's so powerful to, to say, you know what, if your users are complaining about something, you've got to set your own idiosyncrasies, your own pride aside and recognize that what they're telling you is real. So yeah, couldn't agree more about creating definitive lines of communication directly between you and your user uh, to really build things out and get it where it's going. Absolutely. And one of the things I want to cover here is uh, it's related to, um, so it's not about you build a beautiful product in the world. Your product is amazing. So there is this thing, you know, there is a saying, it's not what you sell, it's how you sell it, right? And this is something I have been, I have been reading a number of books on, on, on sales, you know, uh, enterprise sales, because as you know, enterprise sales are, enterprise sales and B2B sales are they're quite complex and um, the sales cycles are quite long, especially in our kind of offering where where you can't just take this product and it's not like a CRM system. You start, you register in it and you start entering your clients or whatever. And then it's, it's you know, it's, it's there, it's up and running. Because our product is you, you take it and then you glue it with the existing processes with other um, technologies as well, like robotic process automation or any other back office system using APIs or there are tons of, you know, ways you can build these workflows. So, um, so when it comes, um, this is something I have learned and I, I can see the benefits uh, coming out of it. So we are, Dog Acquire uh, is being picked up by Oracle. I think it's been one and a half years ago. Yeah. So we are part of Oracle's uh, startup program, global startup program. I think there were, I don't know, I think five or six startups they picked and we were one of them. And one of the things uh, Oracle provides us, the, they provide us skills and they give us training on, on sales and marketing. They give us technology infrastructure as well, you know, which helps our cash flow. So specifically to sales, what I learned, when you get into a sales call, and when you interact with your customers, right, 
you should be selling the solution to them, not the product. This is something, you know, it took me a, took me a while to understand what it is, what actually does it mean. So very specifically, what it means is when you get into a sales call uh, or a demo, just understand customers' pain points, their problems, and understand that and give them a, you know, an insight, a different perspective. What are those uh, opportunities in their business? And, uh, and so that they can basically, uh, you know, make more, uh, increase their revenue, right? And, and, and slash the cost, right? And uh, bring efficiency in their business. So rather than talk about talking about your product, hey, I've got this product. It's got tons of really good features, ABC. Customer doesn't care. All customer cares about is he will tell you, okay, how can you solve my problem, right? And if you give those insights to the customer and, um, and towards the end, there's going to be definitely going to be a sale. So I, I love selling the solution. So, so I went to a sales class. Uh, I, was, I was part of a, an agency before I started data automation where we did marketing and they paid for the whole company that was interacting with customers to go to this sales class. And they talked about features versus benefits. And, and that's exactly what you're talking about. Sell the solution, not the product. So a feature of a product, just like you were saying, would be like, oh, Doc Acquire is capable of handling X, Y, and Z, right? Doc Acquire has this cool feature where it's easily configurable, right? But that's not the benefit. The benefit is the time that that individual can then use to go spend on his family. Or the benefit would be the lack of errors that they're seeing in their accounting system to, to get there. So, so totally hear you. Sell that solution, sell those benefits, not the features, not the products. Because in the end, it's not about your features and your products. It's about the solution. What are you really bringing to the table to make those, 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 those things change for you and your customer? Absolutely, absolutely. And try to get into the customer's, uh, you know, his situation, the situation he is in, and think about how you feel, okay? And if you do that, if you change that, other, you know, the table, and you put yourself in his or her situation, then your attitude, the way your approach of selling will change. And I've seen, I've interacted with so many different, you know, customers, you know, from different countries. Nowadays, customers, are they're very smart. They know what they're talking about. What I used to initially do, I used to have this slide. I used to have a, like five or six slides. I used to talk about the product. That was not effective. Then that kept me thinking, thinking. And I got this book. Uh, it was quite um, uh, helpful for me. I'm still finishing it. It's called the, the Challenger Sale. How you can take control of customer you know, conversation with the customer. So that has completely changed my perspective of how you sell your product and services. Awesome. So I've got one more question here that relates to the early days, and then we're going to get to any piece of feedback or, or other advice you'd give to entrepreneurs as they're beginning their journey of creating something that either automates, delegates, or eliminates in the world, because obviously that's what we're covering on our podcast. But, but my question is, when you compare the early days of the company to now, what would you say the biggest differences are and what you're having to do? How big was the team then? How big is the team now? What's, what's it look like? So the earlier days, it was just myself. And of course, my wife as well, helping me on and off. 
so that was uh, from the team. Now we got a team based in India, and we also got partners in. Uh, they're mostly our resellers based in US and Ireland. And last week we made a partnership with one of the companies in Australia. Now, if I go back. You know, when I started, I mean, the first year, it was crazy, <laughs> crazy in the sense today I was doing one thing and tomorrow I was doing something else. So I was not disciplined, right? I was just getting into every single thing. Now, after we went live, so we went live in July last year and with the first product, the second product, we went live in, in January. That's where we started getting the actual feedback. You know, we started understanding what actually the, is the, is the, you know, we try to polish our product more and more. Now things have, I think things are becoming easier, a bit easier now. It's still, it's still quite difficult, you know, and I would expect first three years, you know, when you launch a SaaS business, first three years are, they are difficult. Now I would say, yeah, in the first two years, just try to, you know, um, generate the revenue, early revenue as much as you can, because not every single entrepreneur, whoever they want to start their business, they would have lumps of cash aside. So because the cash is king. If you have cash in your bank, then only, you know, you can basically invest that into business and you can keep going. So if you don't have enough cash, if you don't have enough, you know, savings aside, I would say start, you know, look, think about the ways how we can bring that first customer on. on. Even if it's you building a very small offering, just bring that first customer and start generating the revenue and bringing that initial, you know, earlier revenue. Interesting. Interesting. That's totally powerful in terms of, of where that goes. And it's crazy how things change. As we wrap up today, what final words of advice would you have for any of the listeners out there who may be entrepreneurs or maybe aspiring entrepreneurs or or maybe just want to understand a little bit more about what it's like to live in the in the mind of a founder. So I would say, um, if you look at currently from the last few years, there are thousands and thousands of startups which are popping up, you know, every single month. I would say, if you if you know there's a problem, right? I have seen a lot of people, you know, what they do is they see a problem and they have got a solution and they keep that problem in their laptop. They don't take it out. They don't show it to anybody. So what I have learned is I may have a great idea about something. I probably know a problem and I have a solution for that problem. Just to know the solution for that problem and, and also build a solution for that problem, it's not enough, right? You've got to believe in yourself. If you know that, I if you know have that gut feeling, yes, this is a problem, this is a solution, don't think too much. Just jump into it, and you you will you know it's it's a it's a journey, and you will learn while you're on the journey. So you got to take that leap, you know. Otherwise, if you just keep talking about it, somebody else will come in and they can take an opportunity. Take that leap of faith is what you're telling people, and listen to the customer. Take that leap, listen to the customer, sell the solution, not the product. We're we're gonna end it there, folks. That is some amazing feedback from Ashik on on starting a business and, and, and what it looks like to create an automation in the world that really is giving back the way that he wanted it to. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to check in with you in a couple of years. Obviously, we're going to check in sooner than that. But 
we'll probably do a second series of these podcasts in a year or two and just see where these businesses have gotten to uh, since we've, we've had these podcasts. So I'm really excited that you're here and, and really appreciate your time today, Ashik. Um, if our users are looking to reach out to you or, or they'd like some advice or they're, they're looking to, to find Doc Acquire and use this really powerful piece of automation, how can they find you? How can they connect? So they can go to uh, docacquire.com and uh, we are also on listing on Twitter and they can reach out, uh, they can reach out on us Twitter as well. So the hashtag docacquire simple and yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, if they want to reach out, you know, directly, um, uh, so they can reach out to ashi.mani at docacquire.com. Awesome. So for everybody who's listening there, it's just, I'm going to spell it out for them. So it's A-S-H-I-K dot Wani, W-A-N-I at DocAcquire.com. Super excited uh, that you were here on our show today. Thank you so much for sharing. I know we delved into some fairly personal or private things, but I think that the power that we can give to the world now that we've successfully founded some different things is to, to draw those other aspiring entrepreneurs out and help those people who have started businesses start them better. So can't thank you enough for, for joining the show today. And uh, that's it for our episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. You've been listening to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, hosted by Paul Christensen.